This episode of Box Cutters is brought to you by Lord of the Fries, helping us get to South by Southwest and specialising in fresh cut fries accompanied by a variety of internationally inspired sauces, as well as vegetarian and vegan burgers, hot dogs, onion rings and nuggets. Previously on Box Cutters. You said, I said, hang on, I said, you made the joke and I was fine with that. And then I said, is that true? And you said, yes, it is. Toby, Toby, by the way, is our fact checker. <laughs> Hello and welcome to Box Cutters episode 294. Knock, knock. Who's there? Get off a duck. My name is Josh Canal. To my left, Glenn Peters. Hello. To my right, Brett Cropley. Good evening, viewers. Far over there, Toby Halligan. We'll deal with him later on. If you've never listened to Box Cutters before, this is episode 294. Where the hell have you been for the last six years? And we have the star creator, writer of Woodley, Frank Woodley, coming into the show. Oh, yes, we yeah. will. Yeah. We're also going to talk, uh, Glenn, you, you've seen foreign shows with foreign languages. Yes, because I can read the subtitles. Right. Well, uh, you're going to be talking about those shows then. Yes. There yes. are two shows that have been created in other countries. You're going to be talking about two of them. Yes, two of them that are very good. One's <laughs> called them, Spiral, one's called The Killing. Yeah. Uh, so, yeah, so we're going to have uh, Spiral versus The Killing in Toby. The Box Cutters Dome. I can't wait. Oh. I can't. I cannot wait. Got some letters to box cutters. We've got one thing. We've got uh, places you have strayed with Toby Halligan and some pork. As always, they're going to kick things off the box cutters news. Reading the newspaper over the last week, you would think that Optus had personally gone into people's homes and smashed their TVs. They've been kicking kids as well. <laughs> Punching that, kids in the brain. Suburban <laughs> footy games just kicking in the balls. Yeah. This is and this is the okay. So so two articles came out uh, during the during the week. Uh, one where the sports minister said that uh, Mark Arbib. Thank you. Mm-hmm. That uh, that Optus doing their uh, TV now was going to ruin sport for kids forever. Yep. That's pretty much... I, I'm not even exaggerating that much. It was an insane um, quote. In the in, end, if this court case stands, then the revenues of Australia's biggest football codes will take a big hit. When it plays itself out, the big losers will be those kids on the sport playing fields. Federal Sports Minister Mark Abib told Sky yes. News on Sunday. So Optus have gone and stolen lunch from little kids. They've stolen people's childhoods. And uh, and also, uh, cricket uh, cricketing bodies have said there is no way we are ever going to broadcast cricket ever again if this is the sort of shenanigans that's going to go on. This story came about because some journalists saw Andrew Demetrio eating at the cafe in the Parliament House and said... What the what, what, what the what's he doing here? Andrew Demetrio is the, uh, the the head of AFL. That's right. Now this was a stealth mission by the AFL and the NRL and Cricket Australia to go in and complain about the court case that was lost a couple of weeks ago. Can anyone go and eat in the cafe at Parliament House? Yes, it's an excellent place to eat. Yeah, yeah. Anyone can get in there. Um, and then you have to sort of run off to the sides. But it's a great place. And you see people 
clotting in there because there's no food forever. So Andrew Demetria could really just go in, have like a five-hour lunch where he sees everybody he wants to see. That's right. Well, Mark Arbib, who just, you know, loves talking to people like Andrew Demetria because it makes him feel important. Because Senator Conroy said the the week uh, previous that he was going to amend the laws so that Optus could not get it. Surely all of this is just... I'm not sure if he said he was going to amend the laws. He was going to have a good look at the laws. Ah, have a good look. Sorry, the implication. The implication was that he was going to... That, that he was going to change The implication laws. was they're taking Optus down. Down. Yeah. Optus because came here and they took For ruining jobs. people's childhoods. Now, let, let's look at what this court case really means. It just means that the mobile phone exclusivity is just a bit down. But it's a still $150 million over three years, which means T-Box, which is a big way of watching the football, the internet, it's all still there. It's just that... Just the mobile phones. The mobile phones were a bit... It's people are so witchy about this. Who, who it, are it on the Optus so... network anyway? They're not even on Telstra. Yeah, it's it's only for people on the Optus network. Yeah, that's right. Uh, people are so whingy about this. So, what do you think, Josh? The AFL want the AFL want to not miss out on uh, fifty million dollars a year for the rest of their lives. Which so they'd want it cha- a law changed. They, if they could, if they could, they to, would have a law changed so that to, only people who paid money could see to ban cloud computing. Well, yeah, that's that's what they want. In, in fact, you know what this does? This takes uh, this takes watching uh, watching the games out of the hands of the people and pushes them on to pay TV or to pay Telstra or to pay someone. For that right, that's that's essentially what what it's doing is it's it's taking it off the 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 free to air live concept. The AFL is doing that, Brett. The AFL is doing what you don't want hey, the, anyone to do. I I declared I'd given up on on AFL football and any sports on free to air. I I I just don't give a shit anymore. They can they can, the, the, the AFL are going to tie their own noose. They they can do it. Footy what? sucks. And and the fact that. Uh, People are kicking up a, a big stink about it. All it's doing is is making people not understand how the issues work. Or thinking, "Wow, why am I on Optus?" It's it's been it's been pretty interesting the the, the whole way through. You know what else is interesting? That uh, that that's a terrible segue. That uh, NBC was looking at doing a Munsters pilot, mm-hmm. a one hour version. Of the monsters called Mockingbird Lane, right? A, a series, a series, a, one hour, a series a one, of one-hour TV, one-hour TV shows, an hour. And so they've they, they're Is it working still comedy. I don't know. They're working on a pilot for it, and and it's been pushed back. And the only thing that makes me think, oh, this is a good idea, is that Brian Fuller, uh, who created uh, Pushing Daisies, mm-hmm. is behind it. And he's a clever man who knows how to make good-looking television. Has he got anything up that's been successful? Two seasons of Pushing Daisies. <laughs> Did anybody watch it? I watched it. Yes. Yeah, yeah, I really... Yeah, people, people who know good television watched it. But yeah, did... I'm no good television. Was it on them sweeps? Uh, I know. Uh, the... Uh, so anyway, that's a thing. That's a thing that's been put on hold. That's I wanted to bring it to your attention and say it's been put on hold. 
There's an Australian version of Netflix called Quickflix, isn't there, Glenn? Yes, there is. And um, HBO have just bought a big stake in it. The Australian really? one, like $10 million. That's a lot of money. It's a lot of money for an Australian million dollars. This is uh, this surprises me because Quickflix is a terrible service. I've now now I've only I've only dealt with uh, I've only dealt with their actual get a DVD return a DVD thing and and just had nothing but bad service from the first first two DVDs were great and then once we had gone too deep in our DVD queue, it was just. Like weeks and weeks of waiting before we would get our next thing, That's and we had like twenty films in our DVD queue. It was ridiculous. Uh, so, so, I just, so they know that you've got it coming up next, and and yet it took longer and longer to get them yeah. out to you. So I, Weird. I really, uh, I really gave up on uh, on on Quick Flicks, but they they're doing they want to do streaming now, like Netflix does. Yes, and it'll be very much like the streaming of Netflix. Um, I think this is an interesting story because it means that HBO, who, you know, we watch HBO TV shows, we like them, um, they're backing a technology here. This is quite an interesting um, introduction to the Australian market. Well, they're, they're, they've got a problem because uh, they're, one, one of their competitors now is Netflix in the US uh, because Netflix can not only provide... HBO shows later on, things that have been uh, released to them after they've been run on on HBO. But Netflix are coming up with original content as well. They're doing uh, a version of House of Cards. And so clearly HBO want to invest in the technology. But why invest in the technology in Australia where betting on streaming is a really bad idea because our internet packages are so terribly set up? Well, NBN coming... Within two years, it'll be fabulous. It's now if you live in certain bits of Brunswick and yeah. certain bits of Tasmania. Uh, I don't. I, I think it's uh, this Toby Halligan. <laughs> Toby Halligan has. Do you have? Do you have the NBN in your house, Toby? Um, I, I don't know, but we do have a letter from the government saying we can get it, which means no, no, we don't. <laughs> it's, but have you have you thought about? Because Brunswick actually has one of the worst uptakes of uh, of. Uh, of NBN yeah. in the whole of Australia. Yep. No. Yeah, absolutely. It's because there are people like me who just stick things to fridge, <laughs> fridges and don't take advantage <laughs> of them. Um, I, I think we'll probably um, sign up for it, becoming, I imagine, the first people on our street to do so. <laughs> so, yeah, so with the NBN, it's, it's possible, but is it happening? When is it happening? When is it coming to my house? When am I going to have more than 60 gig a month to to stream TV shows? Uh, I think watch this space. I think there might be some other investors in this which might make it interesting. Okay. And uh, insert segue for Brett Cropley's article. ABC uh, has been running Q&A, their show on uh, Monday nights, for some time with the Twitter feed running along the bottom of the screen. Given the uh, the popularity of that, they have now announced that Lateline will be uh, introducing a guest tweeter uh, to not join them in the studio, but uh, tweets to the correct hashtag uh, wherever they happen to be. The first one is Malcolm That's Turnbull. That's the sound of me hitting my head against the table. Shadow Minister of Commun- Communications and Broadband, uh, who will be providing a commentary on the domestic and international issues of the day as covered by Late Line on his Twitter account, at Turnbull Malcolm. Uh, they're, they're going to have a, a, a <laughs> but, but, Nobel-winning physicist... But, 
Brian Schmidt and hang on. one of those chaser boys, Chaz Hang on, hang on, hang on, hang on, hang on, hang on. Hang on. I really would have preferred on. it if you continue speaking over Josh because that was I was really enjoying it. <laughs> I wanted to see how long that could go for. So Malcolm Turnbull, who tweets anyway, mm-hmm. is going to be tweeting mm. from his own Twitter account. I think maybe this is a, a strategy of the ABC to get people to watch Late Line. The guest tweeters have to watch the show. <laughs> so one by one, yes. one by one, they're going to get people. Oh, Late Line. Malcolm Turnbull watches it. We have proof. Mm-hmm. So I'm not sure if they're going to do three a week or if, if this is just they're, they're starting on a Wednesday because it's like a new school year or if there's going to be a guest tweeter every single night. Uh, it, it doesn't really go into that uh, too much. Uh, if you follow the Optus account, they'll be retweeting two minutes later. <laughs> and that is the Box Cutters News. Hi, my name's Rod Quantock and you may know me from such films as well, I never made a film, but that's not the important thing. I'm here on the Box Cutters. It's a podcast, and I'm told it's on the internet. So get to the internet, look up podcast, look up Box Cutter, press enter, and shit, you might hear me. Look, we've been graced with the presence of, of Frank Woodley. And I just want to say as well, that is a very good film. The um, Well, I Never Made a Film. That's the title of the that film is, that he made. That he did that, he did um, that after... after they replaced him with Groucho Marx on the, uh, on the Captain Snooze ads. right. Did they replace him with Groucho Marx? Uh, they did. They did. It's going back a long time, though, Frank. Oh, wow. a, a long time. But uh, but it, for, for a long time, he would say, well, he's the only comedian who could replace him. Right. I think that's probably it's, true. Which is, you know, it's, it's Rod Quantock. So, so, I interrupted you when you were saying hello, so, I think. Yeah, I, I was, I was going to say, we've, uh, we've been graced with the, uh, the, the presence of Frank Woodley, who is very busy at the moment, because not only does he have a new show starting on the ABC in a couple of weeks, but uh, he's also preparing for some live work that's right and i'm bringing out a fragrance and and so there's a lot going on for me it's called fetid which i feel like was maybe a bad choice but um no i have got heaps the the, um the tv thing is going to be on on wednesday 22nd and then i'm doing uh, yeah i'm doing a live show on the 24th and it's so it is all a bit mental i must admit if i seem a bit mental that's because i'm a, a bit mental can we let, let's talk about the tv show because because we're all we're all about tv okay uh it is a kind of slapstick, traditional, physical comedy. Uh, it, is, it is a family-style comedy. It is something that we have not seen on Australian television for a long time. Well, possibly. I mean, I'm not saying this to go, you know, aren't I fantastic? Incidentally, I am fantastic. Sorry, but, did I not say um, that in the intro? Yeah. <laughs> no, you alluded to it, okay. so it's fine. Um, no, but I don't know that... I don't know of anything like it that's ever been on. Really, even, on. even thinking back to old, like, old Australian vaudeville days, like Mo and stuff like that, that wasn't slapstick either. That was no, a lot of that was like the, yeah, the um, kind of uh, very verbal. Mo was yes. extremely verbal. Dad and, and Dave was verbal. There's, there's a guy called George Wallace who was a physical comedian. I haven't seen much of his things. He made a couple of movies and stuff. But in terms of television, you know, there's been a lot of physical sketches and stuff. But this is this show is um, there's no verbal jokes in it at all. It's all visual and physical jokes. There is talking in it. It's kind of as contextually, and and it's a romantic comedy that's got a story, a through line through the whole series, and every episode has a story. And so I can't think of any any show. That I know of, that probably, um, and I'm, I haven't been influenced by this, but probably, um, I, I'm not aware that I've been influenced by it. But uh, um, some mothers do have them. Is probably the closest comparison. But it was at least fifty percent verbal. 
just uh, you tick, know, that, oh, tick that yeah, tick that off right. my list. Some of the which is it was largely verbal. I mean the, the the jokes the jokes with Frank Spencer were as much about the way he talked. Yeah, absolutely. And so so this is I think quite weird in a way. So I'm really wrapped that the ABC went. Well, let's find out if it if it's good. If it'll work, you know. Did you, did you get them on a good day or, or something? Because I was really lucky, actually, because um, I – it's a bit unorthodox, but I, I took one of the main producers, I took their child hostage. And um, mm. no, I, I – no, what, this is truly what happened. I, I, had, I did a, um, a solo show called Possessed that was la- about 50 or maybe, maybe 60% physical and visual, and it was a romantic comedy as well, so it was me kind of feeling out that territory, and Debbie Lee, the producer who ended up commissioning it, came to see that show with her son, and they both really enjoyed it. So it was it, that made I think all the difference. So you got it by being good. That well, yeah, but somebody saw it, <laughs> saw me doing something that approximated what I was trying to, you know, suggest. She did like it. I mean, maybe. I don't know. Yes. No, I don't know. But she saw it. She liked it. Which is like <laughs> it's, it, it is also the uh, Australian television pattern of do a show, not do a TV show for 15 years, and then have another show on. Because right. Leon Woodley was 1997. Yes. Uh, was it that long ago? Yeah. It was. There was a 97 season and then a 99 season. Yep. So it's, it's yeah, a long time ago. The, uh, Leon Woodley... Uh, the first three episodes were directed by Bob Spears, who yeah. uh, fantastic English, like ridiculous. Direct, he directed um, Faulty Towers, The Goodies, absolutely fabulous Press <laughs> Press Gang, right? Uh, just yeah, I'm a big big fan of his. Big, and, and he did and he did your show. And yeah, he he did the first couple of episodes to sort of help help us kind of find our feet, I suppose. Uh, and so he is a he is a classic three camera laugh track director. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, Trent O'Donnell, who's who's directing this show, uh, worked uh, co-created Miles Barlow. Yeah. Uh, what are the differences for you in in those two styles of of uh, acting and 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 creating the television? I think it was completely different in terms of we really did shoot these much more like films, I suppose, um, and no laugh track and. And no studio stuff at all, and a lot of attention put into the kind of the design and the mood and stuff. That was all very. I mean, we did that with with Lane Woodley as well, but I, I think not to the same degree. And mm. um, and then I probably can't even can't even um, articulate it very well. You know, they're just extremely different people, and so the effects were extremely different. And you just, I'm just sort of in the thick of it, making it, and we're making all these decisions on the run that. To a large degree, I don't know what happened. Do you know what I mean? <laughs> like we just, and it looks like a bastard to write. Well, it's which you did on your own. It's... I I did, yeah, I did do it. I I can't quite imagine how it would be difficult to do to write something like this any other way than the way it was written because a lot of it was me tinkering in my backyard, trying tricks, and um, you know, uh, a lot of the. The physical routines were very much based on my skills, what I could, what I thought I could achieve, and so it'd be really difficult to, for someone else to write it for me. You mm-hmm. know what I mean? So um, even like little things like there's in, um, I think it's in episode five. There's a little illusion where I, um, I, it looks like I'm sort of 
cleaning out my brain by by having a string in one ear and coming out the other ear. And it's a little illusion that I worked out one day when I was very lonely. And um, <laughs> and so I put it into the into the show as a thing that I where I'm trying to impress my daughter, you know, or I'm actually trying to um, stall because I've got to tell her that her grandfather's died. So there's there's a little bit of a you know pathos in there, but but that's a little illusion that no one else could. You know, it'd be very difficult to go, um, I've thought of this illusion, I want the character to do it, unless they came to the set, unless the writer was there, came in, met me and got out the bits of stuff and said, this is how you do it. Yep. You know, so there's all sorts of stuff. There's a there's a, a little trick. There's a few things that people I think will think are CGI because it's so common now, which is sort of shits me a bit because I practiced for six months or something. You know. um, but uh, there's, a, there's a little um, – there's a trick. It's hard to describe, but because um, I've got slightly longer arms than, than the usual person, I can do this thing where I can stand facing, um, facing towards a backboard of a basketball, you know, a basketball back, backboard, mm-hmm. facing towards it and then throw the ball through my legs – but over my body and shoot a basket, you know. So, I, mind you, I can only do it one in every thirty attempts. So, so just keep rolling. So we just kept rolling, and you know. Um, but it's a little trick that I'm the only person in the world who knows that I've been mucking around attempting to do that since I was sixteen. You know, so playing donkey. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So it's a, it's. Um, I don't know what donkey is. Um, oh, oh, it's, it's a basket. We're not going to go into oh. it now. We don't have time. <laughs> okay, it's like that. It's yeah, that's yeah, the yeah. trick. But it's, yeah. it's a basketball. It's uh, a basketball game uh, where you you do try to shoot that. You do a basket. you do a funny trick shot, and then the other person has to do the same shot. And if they don't get it, they get a D. Oh, okay. Until, yeah. okay. until it spells donkey. So right, clearly, okay. we did have time to go yeah. through it. Now. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> my, um, my mistake. But you know, it would be absurd to try to. Um, write that for another performer, you know. So the whole show is riddled with those kind of little, there, there's little a lot gimmicks, of, I suppose. There's a lot of magic in it, though. You're, you're a fan of magic? Um, no, I'm I'm not, it wasn't a question, Frank. I'm just saying it. Oh, <laughs> you're so a fan of magic. Um, Let's move on. <laughs> I, I saw, I, I read an interview um, with David Lee Roth the other, mm-hmm. just a couple of days ago because uh, Van Halen are doing it. They've done a new album or I, something. I don't even want to do. talk about it. And... Um, and I'm so upset. He was uh, – that upsets you that it's, they're doing it, that? It, it upsets me that it's not good. Oh, really? I've been, I've been waiting a long time oh, for have this you? to happen okay. and it's not very good. So you've good. heard it. I, I heard yeah. the tattoo song and I thought, I thought it might grow on me. I wasn't sure. But, um, it but, might. But he gave like a really witty interview. Like it, it was great. I was really impressed by him. And, um, but one of the things he said, not, not as a joke or anything, but he said the obligation of the performer, the fundamental obligation is to delight – and I thought that was really great. Yeah. You know? um, and so in terms of the little bits of magic and stuff like that that are put in into into my shows that are – there's not much of that kind of thing, but there's little gimmicks and, you know, showing off little tricks and things like that. It is very much, I think, driven by that desire to delight the audience and, and surprise them and, and that experience of wonder, you know, so um, – whether or not I, I – how effectively I pull that off is, you know, I don't know. But that's the interest, I suppose. How long had you been touring, uh, doing live shows by yourself before before you started preparing this, this TV show? Well, I did a little bit um, – I did my first solo show – actually, I did my first solo performing probably 
21 years ago or something. I had a little bit of a crack at doing solo stand-up and was really pretty bad. Um, I, I, uh, I really struggled. Uh, and, uh, and then in 2003, I think, I did a solo stand-up show before Lana and Woodley split. I did mm-hmm. a year doing that. And that was pretty terrifying, I must admit, but but it was a good you know it was a good experience. And then um, me and Cole went our separate ways in two thousand and six, and so in two thousand and eight I did Possessed, which was the the kind of very ambitious solo show that I did that was about the guy falling in love with a ghost that's possessing him, and um, had had a, a whole um, set that was built so that I could fall down the stairs and and that sort of thing. Which means that now you know you hear about some some people tour with a uh, with a masseur. Something mm-hmm. like that. I now have to have a tour surgeon. A, t- a tour surgeon. Yeah. After every uh, performance, there's a little. He does a bit of something. Just a just a little a bit of an, putting some pins in. Yeah, just a, something. Whatever's that's, required. That's, yeah. Yeah. Little, I thought that, that was going to be mildly amusing, that is and it <laughs> turned out it was just like oh, nothing. Well, you said it. You said it. You said it so droll. I just wanted to let. <laughs> I just wanted to keep I, going with the. I don't have a tour surgeon. I just wanted to keep going um, with it. Yeah. I just thought we could just keep. You know what. Just a, just a, you know, putting pins in like yeah. I, that was f- funny. No. Um, yeah, yeah. So I did that. I did possessed, and and that was that was very much me going. Oh, can I do a, a genuine romantic comedy? Because it's pretty terrifying as a comedian. My whole life, you know, I, I'd been kind of everything was sort of um, like everything was an opportunity for a joke. Mm. But I think in a genuine romantic comedy, the the actual essential story of the love between the, uh, the the characters is treated with respect and is treated with integrity even if it's an absurd thing like in that in that play it was about a man who was falling in love with a ghost that was possessing him so there's lots of opportunity for physical comedy and stuff but I had to treat it like he really does love her and she does love him and it's causing them a lot of heartache you know um, so I was sort of feeling out if I could if I could pull that off, or if I, if, even if I would enjoy stretching into that. That's pretty zone. ballsy. When was the last Australian romantic comedy? Well, I guess there's been a few f- films r- r- made like... R- Razorback. <laughs> Razorback? <laughs> ra- Razorback. You know, I... Snowtown. I, that was the Snowtown. <laughs> did, did you... I, I heard that after Razorback was, was made, Russell Mulcahy and I think the... The producer, I don't know who it was, they sat down and they watched the final cut of it in a you know small cine- cinemarette or whatever they're called. And uh, they watched it and they looked at each other and they said, nobody's going to want to go and see a film about a big angry pig, are they? <laughs> <laughs> and it turned out they were, they were right. They, they, were, they were right. I'm yeah. waiting for it to appear in a double with <laughs> yeah. Charlotte's Web. Right. <laughs> <laughs> yes. Uh, yes. I, I ask about the. I mean, yeah, a romantic comedy is, is ballsy, Glenn. But, yeah, really but so is, but so is doing physical comedy on your own in a set on your own on TV. You're not playing against anybody. You don't have anybody to to go. Oh, you're being silly. You don't have anybody to to say that's that's really funny. You are your own. Well, that was second the, banana. Yeah, that was possessed. But the TV series in, in the TV is, series as the well. The TV series is very much an ensemble thing, though. But there are lots of scenes where you are by yourself. Yeah, are, yeah, yeah. There are, but it, but it is. It, I certainly don't think of it in that way. Really, I th- I think of it more as being the character is driven by his relationships with 
with the other the rest of the ensemble and I'm really lucky Justine Clark is a fantastic foil as well as Alexandra Kashmir the little girl she's, she's excellent really amazing find she's got because you know I'm being sort of this crazy you know the mode is sort of a, a desperate attention seeker in a sense like not that the characters are desperate attention seeker but the performer is you know mm. yeah I'm doing anything and everything I can to to try to keep people looking at me and for that to work the other characters really do have to have a kind of stillness, you know, and a poise to, to their performance. And Alex is amazing, the little girl. Wasn't that a Bob Spears thing? He said that most of what made Faulty Towers funny was the reactions of the people nearby. Yeah, right. It's definitely it's definitely true. There's there's just such gold in a good reaction. Both it can be extremely funny, but also it makes the other things work. My, I reckon my favourite shot in cinema is in the general... Um, in uh, the the Buster Keaton film, it's not exactly a reaction shot to another performer being wacky, but it's where the the opposition uh, general has they've gotten to this bridge and the bridge is on fire, and one of his men says he's, he's sitting up on a horse, and one of the men says, you know, the bridge is on fire. We're not sure if it's safe to send the, the train across, and the general says, it's fine, send it across. And then the train gets halfway and the bridge collapses and this f- complete, you know, freight train disappears into this gorge. And they did it with a real train, you know. It, it's, um, I believe it might even still be there sitting <laughs> in that gorge. And uh, so this, this whole bridge collapses, the train goes in. And then they just cut back to a shot of the general who's just said it's going to be fine sitting on his horse. And he doesn't do anything. <laughs> he ju- it's just a shot of him just... Feeling pretty bad, <laughs> and it's beautiful. It's like well, I, I think it's absolutely hilarious, and and so there's, it's all about the context, you know. And I think reaction shots are, are amazing like that. Uh, about a year ago, I did uh, I did a bit of radio with uh, Lawrence Mooney, and uh, and he had had to shape his head for uh, a part in your show. That was a year ago. The show starts late February. What happened in the year in between? It was just we finished we we finished all the post production uh, six months ago, but then they just decided to hold on to it to give it a bit of a sort of um, you know boost Gra- gravitas or something you but, know just to to launch it a bit more effectively. That's that's my understanding. They may have had other reasons. I'm, I'm not sure. But. How did you feel though, knowing that you had created this thing that you'd put all? It's actually all your heart it actually into. worked out unbelievably well because for, I haven't had a uh, um, period of not performing um, for 25 years really I've had a week off here and there or you know um, and so I took six months off knowing that this show was going to be the thing that happened at the end of that six months so it was an incredibly luxurious privileged kind of way to have a, a you know a big break so um, it actually worked out perfectly for me so I'm I'm wrapped Frank Woodley, it's we're, we're out of time already. Well, thanks for having me. It's been a pleasure. Thank you, Frank. Hi, I'm Tim Ferguson, and I listen, they listen, and you should listen to Box Cutters. They're sharp, they're small, and you can take over your own jumbo jet with them. Box Cutters. News just in, Brenda Hunt has been eliminated from Fattest Loser. <gasps> of course, by no, the time you're listening that? to this, you already know that because uh, you watch it. Uh, everyone, well everyone, what? Well done, that? Brenda. Yeah. Uh, uh, good luck in your future endeavours. Good luck on getting out of that show. Uh, Glenn Peters, you've been watching uh, TV shows with foreign titles. 
but in English, they are called Spiral and the Killing, and they are meeting together in the Boxcutter's Thunderdome. Oh no! I fucked that. <laughs> <laughs> it's good enough. I'm sorry. Uh, do you want to do it again? Yeah. They are meeting together in the the Boxcutter's Dome. One show enters, and they both leave. <laughs> Makes sense. <laughs> You're the worst Tina Turner ever. Glenn Spiral versus The Killing. Okay, so you might have heard of The Killing. There's a lot of talk about The Killing at the moment because an American version has just gone to air. Because it was we, so disappointing because I didn't finish up the, the, the thing by the end of the season. Yeah, yes. spo- spoiler alert, it's a bad ending. <laughs> yes. Well, it's funny. And there's also Spiral. Now... Spiral is a French show. So first we'll talk about The Killing. And now this is a Danish show. Correct. About a woman who owns a jumper. Yes, it's a lovely jumper with a nice design on it. Mm-hmm. And she... It's got the reindeers in it, yeah. Correct. Yeah. And she fights crimes. So she's like a Danish Batman. She's like a Danish Batman and it's her, <laughs> it's her last week on the case, just like... Brian Dennehy. She, she's, a cop. She's, she's a cop. She's a detective. She's, she's too old detective. for this shit. Yeah, she's too old for this shit. No, she's going off to Sweden. She's got a new posting. And she's got a new partner just for this case. A girl has been uh, brutally murdered. Ah. Oh. She's and a homicide detective, isn't she? She's a homicide detective. <laughs> she deals with this yeah. every day. Okay. So you've got... A dead girl, and the show is about solving the crime. So every episode is about solving this one crime. So they the 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 entire season they try to solve this one crime. No, Josh, you said entire season, entire two seasons. <laughs> no, Just twenty episodes. That's the worst police department ever. Right. So. This happens, and of course you have to have side side stories. You got you, an ex junkie partner. Uh, no. You, oh, see, in the American version, not he's ex junkie, not ex. <laughs> well, the American version apparently is very very similar to the Danish version because when I read a review, they're just angry at it for the same reasons <laughs> I was angry at it. The jumpers, started the off. jumpers. So you've got 20 episodes. So you've got the family that, that obviously your child has been killed. So this 20 episodes covers 20 days. It's like 24, a day an episode. Oh, yeah. So instead of an hour an episode, it's a day an episode, which makes it easier for the editing. Correct. So it's like that. And they go and try and solve the crime. And there's a senator hearing going on, senator race, just a bit like the Wire season four when... Kenny was trying Tommy Kenny. Tommy Kenny. so it was very similar to that and this senator or his department may or may not have something to do with the murder <sighs> bum, bum, bum. intrigue okay so you've got that and then you've got Spiral which is three episodes three series yeah. which is around 24 25 episodes mm-hmm. there's three murders one a series that's better. That's a bit that's better. A better. That's a better. That's a better clearance rate. Yes, and there'll be murders, you know, every second or third episode, just to keep things spiky. And that follows a magistrate's department in Paris. Now they have an investigating magistrate in in 
France. They have it's the a, inquisitorial legal system over there. Yeah, you know, the, very, the judge very, asks questions. Yeah, very different uh, to, to the Australian or the American or the English version. Correct. Uh, so it covers the police department that work directly for the magistrate. Now, there's a really weird thing going on. You really have to get a your head around French law to really understand it. And they have other things like every now and then guilty until proven innocent sort of stuff going on. It's not quite, not quite right. That that smells a bit like internet piracy. Something like There's, that. There, there, there is, uh, there is the burden of proof is on is on innocence. So you have you have to prove innocence, but that doesn't mean that you are guilty. Yes. Anyway, it got a bit weird there somewhere, and uh, but it does really follow two female characters: an investigator and a lawyer who could be dodgy, who might not be dodgy, and the head magistrate who is spiraling out of control from. Wonderful guy to, oh, my God, what have I done, um, if you know that meme. Um, look <laughs> it up. It's awful. So so here's the difference between the two shows. And I was pointed out to these two shows as very similar because of the one murder and New Europe. Mm-hmm. So in the Danish show, it's very, it's very slow. Well, it's raining a lot. It's raining a lot. It's very slow. You'll have uh, a minute of a father just staring into space, wondering, "My God, what's happened?" Which is which is a, a style, nice style for the first seven or eight hours. Yep. And while the French one, it's just all guns are blazing, crazy. You've got a crazy cop who's on drugs. You've got a cop going out going insane you've got these lawyers who are just i don't know if they're lawyers they're crooks or whatever but what brings both shows together is that the cops are shit house at their job yeah they're they're constant constantly making making mistakes they are rubbish and this is wonderful because in an american show even the wire the cops always do win out and we we do trust the cops to get this eventually. While these new European shows, the, you don't. The, the cops are realistically incompetent, especially in in Spiral, I think, where yes. uh, they, they're trying to do cover-ups, but they're not doing cover-ups very well because their attention is so scattered through all these different things that they, that they have to do. Uh, they They don't really remember what's... What what lie did I tell is is essentially the, right. the scenario. And the Bill tried to do that sometimes, but they didn't do it too well. But, yeah, and also their lives are, are so crazy spiralling out of control that you just – you've got no trust in any of the cops to get this done. Now, conspiracy theorists always trust cops to work. So the idea behind a conspiracy theory is that – Everything is working in perfect order, and that's why no secrets get out. That's why uh, nothing happens because everybody's doing their job perfectly well. But in these in these European shows, people are screwing up all the time. Spir- Spiral, I, I love for for that reason because nobody does their job properly. The judges are are corrupt. Everyone's got everyone's got an agenda 
uh, everyone's pushing a, a certain barrow. You, you talk about the uh, the the uh, defence lawyer as maybe she's dodgy, maybe not. She is just as dodgy as everybody else in yes. in, in Spiral uh, because everybody's just trying to get by because it's difficult. And so all of that, all of that feels very real, but it doesn't. Uh, and and maybe this is the same problem with with the killing. Uh, it's not very uh, relaxing or entertaining television. The spiral at least has things going on and on and on, so you can just you know what what are they messing up this week? But this is the problem. I think the killing they're inept only because the storytelling is inept. Oh, you think you think she actually is a good cop? She's she's a good cop with bad writing. There's still yes, everybody gets gets accused. I even appeared in an episode <laughs> <laughs> where I had murdered the woman. <laughs> it was incredible. Now this is only done as a device to punch the viewer in their head. So all these red herrings that make no sense whatsoever. While spiral. I think there's a point to their ineptitude. I love Spiral. I, I'd say I love Spiral, and uh, and I did find the killing. I don't know why everybody lost their crap over the Danish killing because it is it is just as boring. And I think after twenty sh- twenty episodes, I was angry, so angry at this show for betraying me so often. So that's uh, that's Spiral versus the killing in the. Box Cutter's Dome. Let's do that again. The Box Cutter's Dome. Who wins, Glenn? Spiral easily. Spiral mutilating the opposition. Violating it horribly. We'll need to find some good cops to investigate that. Yes. You read it? You're a godsend. Dear the Box Cutters, long-time listener, two-time interviewee, one-time guest person, and first time making you answer questions of mine. There is something very fundamental about the current state of television that I do not understand, and not one of the two or three people I've asked has been able to provide an adequate answer. Commercial networks have always, as Douglas Adams put it, made their money by selling an audience to advertisers. But with the introduction of all these new digital channels, where is the extra money coming from to make and buy all these new shows? I assume the ABC has been able to quadruple its on-air networks by taking money away from its film-themed comedy shows. But how are the commercial networks handling it? There may be more advertisers, but... The size of the audience remains the same. If the cash value of commercials is based on the number of eyeballs watching and barring freak accidents with gamma radiation, the number of eyeballs across the country has not increased and has instead been further scattered across the increasing number of channels. How is there enough money to justify these new channels? What is it that I'm missing here? Yours sincerely, Al Zachariah. There are two things I love about this letter. One, it asks a very pertinent question. Two... Lee Zachariah has managed to take a segment from the Bazura Project and turn it into a segment on Box Cutters. <laughs> and that's, that, that is very impressive. Lee, thank you for your question. Uh, the, uh, to to, to summarise, how are the networks making enough content for the same money 
to cover all their new channels with digital television? The answer is they're not. Uh, your, your thing about the eyeballs and a certain amount of money, a certain amount of cash, that is, uh, that is entirely true. That, that is the basic concept behind Australian television, especially considering that we only have 20-some million people in Australia and the most you can ever get watching TV at once is 10% of that. That's really? pretty much. If you look at like Olympics opening and closing ceremonies, traditionally, three point two. Yeah, it's a, bit over 10, a yeah. little bit over ten percent. So that being the case, you have a limited number of eyeballs, limited number uh, amount of cash, more channels. This is why uh, about eighteen months ago, uh, the uh, commercial networks received. Subsidies or rebates, I think it was on their uh, on licenses. their licenses to cover the extra costs of making TV for these digital channels. It wasn't really to, to cover it, but it was kind of as a uh, as as a oh there there. It was a random sweetener from the uh, communications. But minister. with with particular respect to the extra money they were going to have to fork out for these for these digital channels hmm. uh, as a one off. Well. Here's some uh, here's some consolation for you. Uh, this is the reason that uh, Seven Mate and uh, Gem are just filled with ancient, ancient TV shows. Petticoat Junction's got to be on there somewhere, doesn't it? Somewhere, yeah. I think Green Acres is on there somewhere. They've got uh, Cheers, Cheers, and, uh, and and Knight Rider, and just shows that cost fifty cents to show. Uh, that just are so cheap to show. They're not making new content. The ABC is the only one who's actually making content for one of their side channels, except for Ch- Channel 10, who have moved neighbours to 11. Seven Mate are uh, doing, like, your American Pickers and, and those two where a couple of guys go somewhere and, and the doco crew follows them and they discover stuff. And uh, and Go has, uh, has some new run uh, American shows like uh, Community and, and things like that uh, are appearing on Go, but very little, very very little new stuff. Uh, the Bazura Project on uh, on ABC Two is one of the uh, one of the few. There, there's two reasons I see why these channels they're putting effort into them is one, just so it's better for say for Channel Nine to have people watching Go than Channel Ten. Yep, obvious. Um, and also it's they're priming themselves up f- as free view as well to prime themselves up against Foxtel. It is, however, one of the problems with, uh, uh, with the way our digital system has been set up, and, and it was always going to be a problem. Which, which was about blocking out new, new uh, competitors. Yes. But I think this is punching Foxtel subscriptions all over the place right now. Well, the, the, the other thing that is ruining Foxtel subscriptions is that Foxtel has nothing to offer. So uh, I hope that answers your question, Lee. If you have a question for Box Cutters, you can send it in to hooray at boxcutters.net or hooray. use the contact link. I can say one thing is the, on the advertising website. on these stations is really low rent and it's really, it's really cheap. And you can get an ad on there. I reckon we could get an ad on there with another possible project. <laughs> <laughs>
Look, Brett, I, I have a feeling that uh, next week uh, I'm going to say that people should be watching Outland mm. at uh, 9.30 on Wednesday night on ABC One. So this week I'm going to do uh, If You Watch One Thing in Two Weeks' Time. I'm only saying that thing about Outland because we've got John Richards on the show next week and he will probably bully us into saying it. He was holding a knife to my neck last week. He's a you, violent, you might not have seen that. He's a violent, violent man. Uh, so I'm going to say... Save your, like Sure, watch Outland this week. Next week, mm-hmm. uh, on February 22nd, Wednesday, February 22nd at 8pm, watch Woodley. So, so you've got Woodley, then you've got an hour of Gordon Street, and then Outland. Yeah. That's how that an works. An hour of Gordon Street. An hour. That's a big show. It's a long hour. Does it fill it well? I haven't had a look at it yet. Oh, I think no. it could go down 15 minutes. <laughs> go, go down like, to 15 minutes or yeah, cut 15 minutes down off? Down to of? 45 Okay, yeah. forty-five minutes of uh, of just Hannah Gadsby. Yeah, Glenn, if you're going to watch something this week, what would it be? Sherlock. Uh, believe the hype. Sherlock is absolutely fantastic, and the second series, which starts this week on Channel Nine, is better than the previous. So it's with uh, Robert Downey and uh, no, no, it's Benedict Cumberbun and or Cumberbatch. Or something like that, and that guy Martin Freeman from The Office. Ah, oh, excellent! And it is spectacular. I can't believe you haven't seen this, Brent. I can't, you haven't seen the Sherlock. I can't you haven't seen the new Sherlock. No. How, how did you not put me you onto were, it? Because I, I don't know. We just assumed. It, 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 if you're going to watch one thing this week, clearly it's going to be Sherlock now because you haven't seen it. Well, yes, yes. But you it, have to go it, back and watch the first it, series. Yeah, absolutely. I think I'll do that tonight uh, before I go to bed. Um, uh, now, just because we've been talking about wanting to not always have ABC content that uh, we recommend for this show, uh, I had a look through uh, some of the other channels' uh, guides coming up. Men of a Certain Age is on Channel 9 on uh, Tuesday night, 14th of Feb at 11.30. goes for an show. hour. That's it's a, a great show. show. Yeah. I loved it. Yeah, it's a, it's a pity it got uh, cancelled after the two seasons. Pod, cast, um, hey, uh, I, very, very important, I think, uh, community service announcement I need to make here on Box Cutters. Uh, I, I hope that uh, everybody is listening and uh, we don't miss, miss anybody. YTT, don't watch it. You can't unsee that stuff. Oh, really? It's, uh, what... Actually, the, I, I did. I sat through another full episode last night, um, and it was their '80s special. Apparently, the people in wardrobe don't understand that there was anything but fluoro colours in the '80s because that was all of their their wardrobe. That the, apparently there was no paisley. Apparently, there was no denim. So um, you uh, apparently there was there were no bandanas. This, so, so you've watched this at least twice now. Is that what you're saying? I have, and you can't unsee. So why? Why did you go back? You can't because for this show, you can't unsee see no, don't blame it on you us. can't unsee children are too young doing a party rock anthem without the everybody shuffling bit of it like they they don't even pay for the whole rights to the whole song <laughs> but what, they're, selling, they're, they're selling all the songs on itunes like there's a little available on itunes the the ytt cast is milty good Jesus, his mouth is so distracting. It's it's such a freak mouth. I, I still can't believe you're blaming us he's, he, he, for having watched it twice. He's he's up, but he's too cheesy. He's too cheesy. Mm. Um, and and also, you know, why, why take, take, they've they've 
really given it the stadium treatment. So now it just looks like another Australia's Got Talent uh, idol with the great big screens all in the background. That was never what YTT was about. Well, while we're plugging gigs, uh, which we're not, but we will be, mm-hmm. Frank Woodley, uh, who not only has a show starting on the 22nd of, uh, of February, uh, also has a show starting in Adelaide on the 24th of February as part of the uh, Fringe Festival there. Uh, it is called Bemusement Park. You can go and see that if you're in Adelaide. If you're in Melbourne, he'll be bringing it to the Melbourne Comedy Festival. Also, if you're in Melbourne, John and I will be live in the studio at Acme on the 23rd of February talking about sex and violence on television. We're going to be talking about Game of Thrones, Rome, Dexter, uh, Spartacus, Blood and Sand... The, the news, the sexy news, the up late violent news. <sighs> Naked news. No, that's been cancelled. Seriously? I don't know. They couldn't even keep that one going. You know, uh, Toby Halligan's here. The Places You Strayed. With Toby Halligan. Oh, it's very was, smooth. It's kind of sexy. But, very sexy but and disturbing then, at the yeah. same time. Hello and welcome to Places You've Strayed. I've got to say, gentlemen, today you didn't stray too far from the, the garden path. Um, so to speak, uh, just to confirm, um, France does have a, a civil law system. That's the distinguishing feature, the civil um, uh, common law. And Josh was totally right that they don't um, have, you know, guilt. You know, you know, you're, you're not predetermined Counsel to be counsel for the for the prosecution. Guilty, of the yeah, yeah, and and basically everything um, Josh said was right. Um, Excellent. Yeah, uh, can, can we get that on loop? Oh, this is uncomfortable, isn't it? <laughs> Win. God damn it! You know, you know, people people uh, have been writing on the on the blog, Toby, uh, that I got stuff wrong, <laughs> and then and then while saying that I've got stuff wrong because I, I get stuff wrong all the time. You know, I can't I can't keep it all in my head. Yeah. Uh, you know, so, some of it has to make way for all the Mork and Mindy. Uh, yeah, episodes course. that I remember. Uh, but it kind of as a backhanded thing is, and Toby should have caught that. <laughs> oh, really? <laughs> yeah. Oh, gee, well, I'm missing stuff. I'm, well, that's... Okay, that's <laughs> oh, at least uh, I'm glad I've now got, you know, a pace in the box cutters pantheon, though. Um, uh, for those of you who are wondering regarding that uh, guest tweeted story regarding Late Line, Brian Schmidt is uh, a Nobel Prize winning physicist who's famous for providing evidence that the expansion of the universe is accelerating, which is ironic given his presence on tweeting on Late Line clearly is providing evidence that Late Line's ratings are contracting. Ba-boom! Oh! Oh! oh, oh no, he didn't! Yes, yeah. he did! The question was raised before whether uh, um, Australia's interwebs are, are fast enough to support quick flicks. Um, 65% of Australian households have access to internet that's fast enough to oh, support the quick flicks model. It wasn't whether or not they were fast enough. It's whether or not the, the, the billing model... Uh, would would allow it. So I've got say sixty gig a month that I can download. Sure. But if I want high definition films, that's gonna I'm gonna run out of that very quickly. Look, this this isn't so much something where uh, you guys got it wrong, but more just a clarification as to the, the the specific reason why Telstra is so shitty about the AFL thing is is obviously they're going to lose money. And the reason they're going to lose money, uh, or the AFL and NRL claiming they're going to lose money, is that Telstra is probably going to attempt and will probably succeed in voiding their 
agreement with both codes for exclusive rights to the internet and mobile services of AFL games. Oh, ha- how is it? Games? It might not happen. That won't yeah, happen. I, I don't think that'll happen because I, I, I don't think they'll be able to prove that it was AFL and NRL's fault that Telstra didn't do due diligence on the mm. market. Yeah, I don't know. Is we should get uh, someone I know well, Lucy Battersby, in, who's oh. the expert in this. Yeah, yeah, yeah. She's, she, yes. she's, she's the one who brought this whole thing to our attention. That's so. the one. And if the judges of the quills are listening, that was her. Thank you. So uh, Frank was talking about, uh, during a Buster Keaton film in general, a train being run. No, no, no. Not in general. The general. In the general. <laughs> Thank you. You are... Uh, Anyway, it's, I'm not it, even going to go I, there. Because otherwise we're going to need a place as Toby straight. Just stop. Just stop. Okay. Anyway, so during that, uh, that stunt was actually, uh, in the 1926 film, was actually the most expensive stunt in, of the silent era, interestingly, oh, right? Oh. So it was actually filmed in a conifer forest around the town of Cottage Grove in Oregon. It used over 500 extras from the Oregon National Guard. And interestingly, so Frank was talking about the specific moment where the camera panned to the Northern General and his reaction being very, very funny. And the reason for that is that uh, Keaton didn't tell the actor portraying the Northern General what was going to happen. So his look of shock was completely genuine. He had no idea the train was going to fall in the water. That's Um, fantastic. It is. It's beautiful, isn't it? So the production company um, uh, left the wreckage there in the riverbed, um, and it was a a tourist attraction for about 20 years, but then the metal from the train was salvaged for scrap during World War II. Which, uh, that's that's probably better than the... Poisons from the metal in yeah. the train leached Gradually into the water system. The and children and the water and yeah. the, the death. Bu- Buster Keaton was responsible for the death of thousands of children. It kind of undermines your comedic legacy, doesn't it? It, it, <laughs> it, it does. So I'm glad. I'm glad they took. I'm glad they finally took the train out of the lake. Yeah, That's, I think uh, it's probably a good thing. Yeah, but um, I thought there were some interesting factoids, and they are places you've strayed. Thanks, Toby. That brings us to the end of Box Cutters episode 294. I want to say thanks very much to Frank Woodley for coming in and talking to us about his new show, Woodley, that starts on Woodley, the 22nd of Woodley. No, wait. Wednesday, the 22nd of February at 8pm on ABC One. It's repeated on Saturday, the 26th at 7pm on ABC Two. Thanks to John for organising the the Woodley interview that other people couldn't organise. Until next week, my name is Josh Canal. I'm Glenn Peters. I'm Toby Halligan. I continue to be Brett Cropley. Thanks for listening to Box Cutters. Catch us again next week. Same bat time, same bat channel. And hey, let's be careful out there. Box Cutters is produced by Josh Canal with Brett Cropley and John Richards and help from Courtney Hocking and Dave Lawson. John Richards edited this episode. Peter Wilson from Soup Giant is the man behind making sure you can actually download stuff. He's good that way. We'd like to thank 3RRR, the greatest radio station in the world, for letting us use their studios to record this podcast. Find them on the web at rrr.org.au or 102.7 FM if you listen to radio the old-fashioned way. If you enjoyed this podcast, you can show your appreciation by leaving a positive review on iTunes or maybe just telling some friends what they're missing out on. You can also donate actual cash money to us by using the donate button at the top of our website. Donating helps keep the show alive and makes us smile. Our website is boxcutters.net and you can find all sorts of ways to contact us there. Okay.
Toby Halligan has. Uh, yeah. Okay, I was just going to say, um, uh, I got taken fishing a lot um, with my uh, uh, dad, and we went fishing recently for the first time in like a decade. And we were fishing in Canberra at this freaking horrific old artificial lake called Lake Burley Griffin. Two and a half hours of absolutely nothing. <laughs> then, right at the end, just after my dad was beginning to taunt me a bit because I'd been talking myself up, I caught something, and it was a turtle. Yeah. <laughs> and it reeked. Like, it reeked like the arse of the lake. Like, it was horrible. And then we had to take it to a vet. And it was the weekend. And so it meant we actually had to take it to, like, a suburban home. And they were old people. And they took care of parrots and lizards and stuff. And I felt really bad. And they, like, were fawning over the turtle. Hi, this is Pete Smith. You've been listening to or have just missed Box Cutters.